We have with us Sheikh Mohammed Beg, who's currently in Texas right now. And alhamdulillah, thank you, brother, for accepting this invitation and coming online with us for our podcast. It's my pleasure. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh Alhamdulillah. So how's everything in Texas? Texas is doing well. They are opening up. It's a Republican state. <laughs> so they're opening up things, you know, the movie theaters are supposed to open up on Friday. Okay, wow. So that's... Yeah, new movies aren't coming out. It's still the old movies, but still, you know, they're opening up. Well, here in Australia, we have much less people who have been infected and, right. and who have died from the virus. I think the numbers are between 70 to 80 in total have died. And we have full restrictions. And slowly, slowly, they're starting to take the restrictions off. And I know in the States, you guys, at, at least what it seems like from the news, is you guys are going crazy over there. But still, yeah, well, I, yeah, I think most of the people are dying because of their eating disinfectants, you know? Oh, <laughs> well, when, when you have your leaders saying to eat disinfectants, what can you do? <laughs> and the ultraviolet lights. Oh, it's a joke. Yes. It's a joke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how yes, people take. I don't know how people take leadership. them seriously, man. Well, we have smart leadership. <laughs> don't worry, <laughs> we're in good hands here. We're in completely good hands. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So right now you're in Dallas, but you're uh -huh. but you're still living in California. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So yeah. what what are you what are you doing in Dallas right now? Uh, I'm here for Ramadan, actually. You know, I mean, they had invited me here, uh, but the thing is that we're not having physical gatherings. Mm -hmm. So I'm here, but I'm just doing the uh, sh uh, the program online for them. Okay. So wh what's the program? So if anyone wants to check that out. Uh, well, they can actually see me on Divine Allegiance. That's my show. Mm -hmm. And uh, whatever I do, you know, it goes on Divine Allegiance. That's like a daily show that I, you know, do here in America. Okay, excellent. So, what, what kind of topics do you talk about on this show? Well, we go through a lot of topics. Basically, you know, the idea is uh, a show where knowledge meets reality. You know. Okay. So it's ideological. It's anything that people want to talk about. And they would give me the subjects to talk about, or sometimes I choose a subject. Well, mostly I choose the subjects, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I just get it out there for the people, you know, and and uh, in real terms. Yep. And uh, it's it's good. It's been going good, you know. It's new. I haven't. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, recently I started after the virus started. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you mentioned you get out in real real terms, right? That's one of the things that I really like about you and respect about you is you're definitely down to earth and the way you connect with people is amazing. I really think that that's the way scholars should be is that, you know, I don't know, the, the Mimbari scholar who just gives this talk and they seem holier than thou and they're not able to connect with people. I really don't think that that's working in our communities. But being able to make that connection with the youth and make that connection with the community it's it's an integral part of being a scholar, and that's definitely something I see in you. Well, I mean, the thing is that, you know, I mean, uh, you have to live a real life. You got to mm -hmm. have a job, work, mm -hmm. people, 
You know, I mean, you grew up here. So, hey, you know what? You got friends, you have circles, you know, you, you go on with life. And so when you learn Islam, then that Islam becomes a part of your life. Awesome. And hence, you know, you're able to relate these two things together. And I think a lot of these people who come from abroad, you know, they have that problem because they can't connect mm. uh, the knowledge that they have to the circumstances that they have. So they isolate themselves amongst the people that they know. And uh, that's it. They can't go outside that circle. Yeah, especially there's so many people who don't even learn the language. Like they don't even learn English. Yeah. So there's, they can't yeah, connect I mean, to, to anybody. I mean, hey, listen, you know, English is not a big thing because in America, you know, most of the professors at universities can't speak English, you know. <laughs> you have to be like, what are you saying, you know. Uh, most of the professors, you know, are from abroad, you know. That's true. You know that. So the thing is that, you know, it's not the English part. I think it's more of the um, frequency. Mm. Frequency about about uh, where this is going, right? Mm. How How this is going and how you're putting this and this together, it doesn't match. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just like that. Mm. You know, right. so, I mean, hey, listen, you know, um, once you have lived over here, at any place you are, you know, I mean, I can't go to China and then start working there. It'll be hard. I don't even know the people. Yeah. I don't know how they think. I don't know what they're about, what their mm. background is, you know, what, what are the buttons that, you know, that you can push to get them going. I don't know. Mm. But I do know America, so it's easy. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been in America? For many years now, right? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I came here with my parents when I was uh, a baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've been I came here when I was a baby in 1969. I was a year old. Oops, I gave up my age. <laughs> <laughs> Mashallah. You definitely look young for your age. <laughs> yes, man. I'm from all the way in the '60s. Subhanallah. Yes. <laughs> all right. So you're visiting in Dallas. You're based in California. You you mentioned San Bernardino, right? Yeah. The Inland Empire. Mm hmm So what are you doing out there? Well, we uh, it's two things, right? I'm involved with the local community there. Uh to some extent, you know, I mean, I give speeches there and uh, we have a small center there, you know, where where I, I usually go there on the weekends. Uh, it's known as the Imam Ali Center. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm over there. And then, but the main thing that I do there is the Hausa, you know, mm -hmm. the Hausa studies. I am the chancellor of the Imam Ali Seminary. Yep. So that's the, the Hausa which was in America uh, and... Um, you know, uh, now we have it online. We used to have it physical. Now it's online. So that's the reason I'm able to travel now, different mm -hmm. places, and I can mm -hmm. still take the classes online. Excellent. So you mean online? Is is it open to only people in the States, or can people around the world join them? I mean, right now the students are from America, mm -hmm. you know, but of course anyone can join in because, mm -hmm. you know, it's online. So um, right now we are going to restart the new classes in August. Okay. What what kind of what does the house look like? So how many years does the house run for? I mean, the way that we had the house here in America, right, is that it was a two-year house. Yeah. You know, so our basic idea regarding the house was to um, 
go through the initial studies of the Hausa, mm -hmm. emphasizing on Arabic, yep. and then also going into the different fields right. uh, at an introductory level. Okay. So that a student who from here goes to the Hausa abroad, let's say in Iran, let's say, mm -hmm. or Najaf, mm -hmm. then he knows what studies are mm -hmm. and he knows Arabic. Yeah. Because in my experience and the experience of all our brothers who have gone from America to the Hausa in Iran, right? One of the, the issues that we had was the learning of the language. Yeah. You know, because uh, let's say you go to Iran. Uh, at first you learn Farsi. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and you're just like handicapped in Farsi. You know, I mean, you're crawling in Farsi mm. and then right away you start learning Arabic in Farsi. That's right. You know, and so now you're learning another language in a language that you don't know yet. Mm. And, and, and you're struggling with these two languages and it takes for people who go from here a long time to learn Arabic. Yeah. And they don't need to go through that. You know, I mean, you can learn Arabic in two years and you can be strong and reading books by that time. That's right. But because they have to deal and juggle with all these languages, they're lost for five, six years there. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things. Yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember with myself, I went I went from the States, but I went to Lebanon first. So I did my first yeah. year of Hausa in Lebanon. And with that purpose to learn Arabic and then move to home afterwards. So the the Hausa that you have didn't exist when, when I went to the Hausa. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. But yeah, um yeah. it definitely helped. So I remember when I went when I went to Qom, I had a grounding in Arabic and I went there, I, I actually took classes in Arabic as I was learning Farsi. So I had right. fit classes in Arabic in the when I was still learning Farsi in Madrasa Al Mahdi that they have in Qom. And I remember right. that was definitely easy. And then when, when they started to teach Arabic, it was so easy for me because I had already learned it. So it yeah. was, I, didn't, I didn't struggle at all with the small grammatical rules that they were teaching me because I already studied to a much more advanced level than what they were starting with. And that, that helped me immensely because I didn't get, as you said, I didn't get caught up with that. And I saw other people who didn't go through that experience. They definitely struggled with picking up Arabic to the extent that so many students, even after the fifth and sixth year of Hausa, could barely read Arabic, right? Mm -hmm. And they would struggle. Yeah. And they would, have to, they would have to take extra classes to be able to use the original sources of, of Islam because they're all in Arabic. Yes, yeah. they're so all in Arabic. It's definitely good. Even when I was yeah, in the so States. That was one yeah. of the, the main thing was that, you know, I mean, when you learn the Arabic and English language and you're being explained, it's so much easier because our students who have learned here in two years, they're able to read texts mm -hmm. and they're able to read books. Mm -hmm. So when they go to, let's say, Qum, they're already ahead. Yeah. And they already know what's going on. And so it really helps them succeed. Yeah. I, I, I found that 100 percent true because even not only with Arabic, I remember I was in Los Angeles and I was in a in a group that was called Headquarters. They don't exist anymore. They've morphed into a group called Yasin right now, which is, which is in yeah. Orange County. I'm sure you, you're aware of them. Yeah. And, and when I was there, when I was young with this group, 
which was called headquarters at that time. It was a very small group of brothers that were very well connected. So we had a really strong bond of friendship and we studied a lot. So the, the amount of knowledge that we had in this little group was a lot more than you would expect from a normal group of people who haven't gone to house or anything. So right. because we studied so much, right, before I went to Hausa, when I went into the Hausa, the first couple years were are pretty much new. So all the Aqaid I already knew, most of the Ahkam I already knew. So I was able to concentrate on Farsi language a lot more and to pick that up easier because I wasn't struggling with, with the subject matter of the lessons. And that really helped me a lot. And then once the subject matter started to get harder and was more, more than I had learned in the States, obviously, that's having that, that strength in the language definitely helped and having that background helped 100%. So I'm, right. sure, I'm sure the students from your house experienced the same. And I know there's a number of students who have actually moved on to Qom. So I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I they know, have gone to Qom. We have, uh, 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 we've been going on since 2009. Yeah. And uh, we have about uh, over 25 graduates. Mm. And uh, a lot of them are in Najaf and in Qom. And uh, now they have also, I mean, we have people who have graduated from Qom and Najaf and they're back mm. in America uh, in different uh, places, serving different places, you know. That's great. That's so, a blessing. May Allah reward yeah, you. Alhamdulillah, you know, alhamdulillah. So uh, the program was work is working. It's it's, it's actually working. Yeah. So we are uh, very excited about that. So it's know, the Imam Ali Seminary, right? Yeah, the Imam Ali Seminary. You can go online and see it. ImamAliSeminary.com. You know. ImamAliSeminary.com. Inshallah. Yeah. Hopefully, brothers and sisters who are listening to this could check that out because I know there's there's a there's a desire for people to learn about Islam while they're still in the West, before they go to Hausa, or even if they don't move on to the Hausa, just to have a better understanding yeah. of, of the religion. And I know that, like in Sydney, for instance, we don't have a Hausa. There is um, there's an online Hausa that's called eHausa here, that it's recorded lectures, it's, it's different, but I know your, your seminary would be stronger. And I'm, I definitely encourage people to check it out and see what it's about. And look at the website, because I, I know I get a lot of emails, um, not a lot, but once in a while I get emails from it, and um, I check check on you from time to time from afar, but alhamdulillah, it's good. I know there's one brother, um, Latif, brother Latif's that I knew before. Brother Latif, Latif yes, 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 yes. He is still in Qom. Yep, yep. He's still in Qom, you know, he's back here in America right now, he's in Orlando uh, okay. visiting. Because of the virus, whole yes. virus situation, because what? the whole house and home has been like just shut down, you know. Yeah. So he's. I don't know if it's better back. being in the States, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I know, you know? Uh, I know the brother from before he went to, to your house and before he went to home. Alhamdulillah. Uh -oh. It's good that he's uh, excelling in his studies and he's doing well. Oh, yes, yes. He's doing very well. Doing very well. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, one of the, I mean, the actual reason about the Hausa being here is not just the language. You know, that was just one part of it. Yeah. But the main part of it is that, you know, one of the other things we saw that um, the uh, success rate mm -hmm. of students who went from the West to the Hausa was one out of 10. 
Yep. Meaning one out of 10 students who go to the house and come from the West uh, do anything, you know, most of them just are out within a year or two. Hmm. They're gone, you know, within I, a year or two. I definitely saw that when I was there. When I was in Kong from the time I was there 10 years. And mm -hmm. in the 10 years that I was there, I saw so many people come and go. So come and many go. people. And they was, come and they go. And the, the reason that happens is because, you know, uh, one, they have no grounding as to what is expected of them in the house. Uh, what is the house about? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them don't even know what it is. And so when they go there, they're in a shock. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in a shock. One, and the other thing is that uh, they, the initial years of the house are very important for a student. Initial years, the one or two years. That's when he needs the most counseling and mentorship. Yeah. He needs someone to mentor him. And if you don't have a teacher who understands you, who can mentor you, you really are lost. Yeah. And you know that the Hausa in Qum or Najab is like an ocean. 100%. There is no idea of, of counseling there mm. or mentorship. Mm. And even if there is, right, it won't be working because the person who is counseling you is some Iranian guy. Mm -hmm. And, he doesn't, and know, he doesn't know your culture. He doesn't know. He doesn't know yeah. how you work. That's right. And so what happens is that you need someone who's, able to understand you as a student and, and, and can help you to achieve your potential. Yeah. And that's what they don't get there. And that's what we realize that our, you know, when you study here, then the success rate of students who go from here to there is much higher. Mm. And that's why we said that, you know, every person who wants to learn Islam is a person that Allah has put a spark in his heart. And so that person who wants to learn, right, is an asset that we want to make sure that we invest in it and that we raise him up in the right way so that there's the, the chance for success in him is more. And Alhamdulillah, that's what we have been achieving. Alhamdulillah, it's beautiful. What what kind of books do you study? What is what's the process? Uh, it's a house of books, you know. I yeah. mean, like the Arabic, you know, from Hausa, you know, the the Nahab. In fact. Most of the initial house of books we translated ourselves oh, into wow. English. So from Arabic to English, we have the original text of the Hausa in English that is ours, and we did the translations. You know, beautiful, beautiful. here. So uh, we have the translations, and we and we work with the students. You know, to the extent. So all of these, uh, for example, Al Hidayah in Nahab or Sarf, we wrote our own book of Sarf. Mm. You know, our teachers. You know, they worked hard for it and they want to make sure that everyone, uh, students who come here, we have the right books for them. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the way that a Western student learns is different than uh, someone in the East, you know, because in the East, usually students who come to the Hausa are like 12 years old. Yeah. And, and, and the students in the West are adults. True. So you don't need to repeat one thing ten times, you know, true, for that. I mean, they're adults and they need to understand it once. Yeah. So that's the reason, you know, we rewrote the book of Saraf and just have one book mm. that goes through the whole thing. That's good. That's interesting. Are these books available for purchase? Uh, well, no, they're not available for purchase, but we do have them ourselves that we give to the students, you know. Okay. 
So once you enroll, when you enroll yeah. in the house, then they when you enroll, then we give you the books, you yeah. know, that we need, you know, uh, hopefully, inshallah, we want to get them out there. Mm. But, you know, I haven't thought about that yet. Okay, no worries, no worries. And are you the only teacher in the house or are there other teachers as well? Uh, no, right now, you know, I'm the only one, you know, we used to have one other teacher, you know, who just retired. Mm. Right now, um, you know, but I'm the one and uh, right now because we are online, that's why I'm able to get it done, you know, and myself. Yeah, that's good. Beautiful, beautiful. Alhamdulillah. So I know you were working in other centers in Los Angeles as well. What's, what's the... Um, situation over there and how's, how's in LA? Yeah. I mean, LA is like every other place in America, you know, I mean, every other place, you know, every center, and you know, you're from LA, right? Every right. center there has been divided according to their ethnocentric background and their mm -hmm. language background. That's it. You know, you have the, your Urdu speaking centers, your Arabic speaking centers, your Farsi speaking centers, you know, and, uh, and they stick to their own, and then uh, there you go. That's about it. You know, I mean, um, uh, and the goals are not too high. You know, I mean, the goals is just to keep the doors open. You know, yeah. And so if the doors open. You know, someone's gonna walk in there. <laughs> you know, someone's gonna walk in there, and we'll have our Thursday night programs, and uh, maybe have a, a Friday. Remember? And uh, if we can do more than that, then Sunday school might be good. Yeah, you know, so uh, you it's know. the same here. It's the same in Sydney, where you have the Arabic speaking programs, you have Farsi, you have you have a few Urdu, not many. There's one Urdu center, I think, and you have uh, a lot of Afghan centers and Farsi speaking places. No, oh, um, yeah. they they do do English programs, but for the most part that the dominant race is there and there's very few people from other races that attend right. even when it's in english and it's definitely something that i feel is an issue and that we need to try to overcome because how strong would we be if we were all together and how weak we are when we're all separated right there's yeah. huge i was giving i was giving a muharram lecture here a, a few years ago last year and the year before last year it was less attendance because the group split in two but the year before I was giving lectures and there was a good three, four thousand people attending. There were huge lectures here in Sydney. And when I told the people what the center is, it was called Marqueza Irshad. And when I would tell Lebanese brothers, yeah, I'm speaking at this place called Marqueza Irshad, they haven't even heard of it. And they, wow. have, they have a congregation of three, four thousand people. And uh -huh. they haven't even heard of this place existing. Uh -huh. right? wow. So it's like, that's how separate everyone is here. They, they don't even, they don't, it's pretty crazy. You know, and I you think, know, yeah, I mean, it, it, yes, it is. It is amazing, you know, how we have, uh, we are unable to recognize that we are the Shia of Imam Mahdi, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and we unable to recognize the, the, the scope and the, the great umbrella that is Imam Mahdi, you know, mm. and for, it's unfortunate that, you know, we haven't reached that potential. And there is, you know, one of the conditions of the Imam's return, the Imam coming back is the formation of an Ummat. The Ummah mm. has to be formed before the Imam can come back. And by that, we have Hadith regarding that, which says that um, unless and until the Shia, the Khawas, 
the special people of the Imam do not come together, all of them, with all of their hearts and sincerity, if they don't come together, Imam is not coming back. SubhanAllah. How, so, how can we do that? What are well, some I'm just steps gonna happen, we can take? Bro, right now, uh, right now uh, you know, obviously as a, a good doctor friend who always listens to me and, 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 and sympathizes with me, you know, because my message has always been, because I've been doing this for 30 years now, and my message has always been about unity and about everyone coming together. It's the essence of what we need to be doing first. So one of the doctors, you know, he he's a friend of mine, you know, he says, you know, it's in Morna, you know, you don't need to worry, you know, because um, uh, these people, you know, the immigrants, you don't need to worry about them because uh, the way that they eat and the food that they eat, in the next uh, 15, 20 years, they'll be all gone. <laughs> So when they'll be all gone, the next generation, there's more hope in them that, you know what, they're not going to look at themselves in those terms. Right. They'll be much broader in their view of how things are, and that's how we're going to go forward. So uh, the time is going to come. Inshallah. The time is going to come when things will change. I do see that. I do see that the youth are much, much more you know, together and unified, and at least pockets of them. Right? And they don't, yes. look, they don't look at race as much as the elders do. That's true. And that's they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they don't. You know, they're Australian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's a group here. So what, what, we've, what we've come to, there, there's actually another scholar here by the name of Sheikh Mohammed Dehaini who's studying in Lebanon. And he came up with the idea that, look, there's a lot of people who are kind of disenfranchised with the masjid programs and the masjids and the politics that are in the masjids. And a lot of people are turned off and stopped coming, stopped even attending the masjids because of the way that they're operating. And he was worried about some of the youth falling off. So what he decided was, let's start a Dua Tawassul and Dua Kumail program. Uh, we'll do these programs at people's houses. We'll read the Dua and then we'll hang out afterwards. And as we're hanging out, we'll open up discussions about Islam. So it's not a speech, but it's a discussion where everyone joins in. And it's kind of moderated by Sheikh Dehaini. And I attend a lot of times as well, and I help moderate those talks too. And I feel that this is really great. And it brings a diverse group of people. So people who attend yeah. different centers come and meet with each other and come to these programs and hang out with each other. We build bonds with each other and the French right. the friendships that I've been able to create have been a lot stronger. Even the brother's house I'm at today, well, of course I knew him before and I was friends with him before these programs started, but through these programs I've increased my friendship with him. And that happens, right? So I think that's one way these efforts this type of group are so important. What you're talking about these efforts are the thing that truly creates friendships and those friendships uh, when people get together they uh, pull together and they create ideas mm. and those ideas are worked on and become some sort of a movement later yeah definitely inshallah inshallah and I, I see definitely progress in it obviously because of coronavirus we're not able to continue physically seeing each other right now but inshallah soon <laughs> when the restrictions are right easy, now you all are doing good in the house <laughs> so Inshallah, soon, soon we'll be able to restart them, hopefully. I know in Australia, they've, they've pretty much kept the, 
virus under control. I know about 80 people have died, but inshallah, slowly, slowly the restrictions, they're talking about easing the restrictions and maybe we'll be able to get back soon. So that would be right. good, inshallah. So, That's good. So what, what do you see as the main issues that people in the West are facing right now with regards to religion? You know, uh, here's the thing, right? I think there's a, um, one of the issues that we have, the major issue, you know, I mean, there are a lot of issues, but one of the major issues that we have is the practice of Islam. Hmm. You see, everyone who has come here has brought their practice of Islam that they used to do back home. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to recreate that here. Yeah. I, I, which is... Yeah. I see that 100%. So... For instance, I remember when I was in the UK. So I, I was in the UK for about a year, and I I, uh -huh. I helped out with this center in Luton called the uh -huh. called Masjid Ali, and I remember in the UK the um, the processions, the julus that they have is a right. huge thing, and right. I know that those were very common in Pakistan. So in Pakistan, right. they would have these julus, and they were very effective there. So the people who came from Pakistan to the West said, all right, let's recreate this and let's let's do this. So they have these huge processions once a week from the time Muharram starts until the end of Safar. They have a procession every week in a different city or town in the UK. And I remember the first time I went to, so this was before I went to Luton, but I remember the first time I went to the UK, they had a procession in um, Scotland. So I was in Scotland in Glasgow and I remember walking along in this procession and everything was in Urdu and we're walking through the town and all the people are watching having no idea what's going on. The people are doing um, Lutmiya or Matam and they're hitting themselves and they're screaming and they have this horse that's decorated that's at the front of the procession and no one knows what's happening whereas in Pakistan it's in Urdu and everyone understands because it's their yeah. language. Whereas in, in, Amer in, in the UK, you had all these people saying, what is going on? And I remember walking along in the crowd and trying to, you know, talk to people who were watching and confused and trying to explain what was happening. And I remember that there was this girl that came up to me. She, she was a teenager. She must have been 18 years old, 19 years old, something like that. And she's like, what is this horse, right? This, this horse that's walking. And obviously it was a horse that was decorated to symbolize Zuljan. Yeah, and, and I said, yeah, it's a horse that symbolizes the horse that Imam Hussein was on. And Imam Hussein is the grandson of the prophet. And I went over this, this story. And she was like, can I touch the horse? I said, like, yeah, go for it. And she ran through the procession, this, this you know, um, Scottish teenage girl <laughs> ran through the procession and touched the horse. Uh, I was scared to tell people, yeah, I, I told her it's okay. <laughs> I didn't know what they would do, but it was funny. I know. And I hear, I hear all these stories. Like I remember some, some of the scholars that would go to the UK and they'd come back to Combe when I was in Combe and they'd tell me stories. And there was like, I remember one of them told me, I went to the UK and when I went to the, the center that I was going to speak at in the UK, I don't remember which, which city it was in. They had got uh -huh. this, they, they rented a white horse that symbolized yeah. Zuljana. They rented right. the horse from, a, from, you know, just a regular English person, so a non-Muslim. And right. they told the Sayyid, Sayyid, 
this horse is not Muslim because we got it from a non-Muslim. Can you recite the azan and the aqama in its ears and make it Muslim? And then he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what are you saying? And he's just like, these things, I, have n I don't think that, that people from the West that weren't raised in that culture would have no idea of the, the symbolism. Nah. And it would just, I think it would alienate them from religion if they, nah. if they come across this. Right, well, I mean, it's not just alien. I mean, obviously, examples you're giving are extreme. Mm. You know, I mean, those are like, okay, really understandable example. But I'm also talking about subtle examples, right? Mm -hmm. Subtle things in Islam. The practice of deen in the West, the in the land of kufr, is inherently different in its goals and objectives mm. and its methods and approach then the practice of deen in a Muslim country where it is. For example, the Prophet, when he was in Mecca, you see that his approach and the way that he was doing things was completely different. And the emphasis of things was different than the emphasis, for example, it was in Medina. Mm. And after that, you know, because a Muslim society has been created and hence now there are different ways and goals that we go about doing things. Yeah. And I think that is one of the things that a lot of people don't understand. And, and it's like, for example, how do we do things here? What are the ways of doing things here? Let me give an example for you, right? Um, everyone expects that every person who becomes a convert should pray every prayer and should observe every rule in Islam from the first day onwards. You know, you can't eat this, you can't do this, you can't do this. You know, and... A person who just became Muslim has, you know, to follow the whole of Tawdihul Masail of the Marja. We have the Muslims, right, who are already there, they don't even practice 90% of what is there. But they want this person to practice everything. That's why I said, if you want to be a Muslim, you have to do this, you have to do this. No. If you want to be a Muslim, you just need to believe in Allah and the Messenger of Allah. That's what makes you a Muslim. The rest is for you to grow into. That's, that's true. I remember, you don't have to do that the first day. Yeah, I remember myself when I converted to Islam, I had a book that taught me prayer. So I, I learned how to pray from this book. And I remember in the book, it obviously now that I know, but it mentioned the mustahab actions of the prayer. And what's mustahab to say after the prayer, right? So the taqibat and all of that. Now, yeah. when I was reading it at that time, I was 16 years old. So I guess <laughs> I wasn't able to distinguish between the two. And when I would pray, it would take me literally an hour, an hour and a half to, to perform each prayer, right? And I prayed for maybe a week. And then I'm like, man, this is impossible. How do people do this? I can't do this. And I actually, you know, I was a beloved, but I left prayer for a while because of that. It was too hard for me. Right. And I think if you push religion too hard onto someone when they first convert, right, it's not going to work. You have to let them move at their own pace. It's 100%. not necessary. You know, we have a, a person, right, uh, who became Muslim, uh, came to the prophet in the middle of all the people. He came to the prophet. He said that, you know, I heard that, you know, that we have to pray five times a day. And the prophet said, yes. So he said, I can't do that. Mm. I just can't do that. That's not me. I just can't do that. Mm -hmm. 
So now everyone is like, how can you not do that? You know, all these people, right? But the prophets, all right, you know, um, are you able to make one prayer a day? He was like, yeah, I can make one prayer a day. It's okay. Then only one prayer is watching on you. Go on. Oh my God, you know, and everyone's like, what? How did he get a discount? He said, this is, that's his modifier. That's how much he knows. And that person made that one prayer, made it regularly until, you know what? He slowly got into making his prayers. Yeah, everyone's, a, everyone's on their own path, right? Everyone's moving towards... On their own path. Yeah. And the fact is that, you know, we, you know, really need to see the practice of Dean here mm. for how, you know, I mean, what is Dean for them? I have, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we, you know, I have um, a lot of people who became Muslim in, um, in our masjid that was in Florida, in Tampa, right? That's yeah. where I was before I went to yeah. California. And uh, we have like, uh, I would say about 250 to 300 people who became Muslim there, right? And, and, and the thing that happened, right, with these people is that there was the emphasis of, like, okay, you became Muslim. The important thing about Islam is that just believe that there is one God, that Muhammad is the messenger. But that is what you need to believe in. And they believe in that. Hmm. Now, you know, uh, they might not be wearing hijab right now. They might be not be doing this. They're trying to do what they can. But they're Muslim. Yeah. And you know what? They slowly and slowly they learn and they adopt the ways mm. over time. And, and, and this is why we see that the way that we practice Islam in the West and how we approach it is different. Yes, me who, for example, has the marifat of the prayers of all the things, you know, that I see that obligation on me. Those people who don't have that, and now the same rules apply to our youngsters. Mm -hmm. The reason a lot of people are breaking nowadays, you see that their faith and their their practice breaks and they become hopeless and they just leave altogether, is because of the rigidness of you have to be 100% muttaqi or nothing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I have so many stories of parents who were ideal parents apparently who would take their uh, their their kids to every sunday school class they would make them do their homework they would uh, have them learn the ayat of the quran and memorize the quran and they would take them to every lecture that there is and you know what so much that that kid the kid rebels when he grows up now he doesn't want anything. He doesn't want anything. And now they're like, what do we do with him? He's become an atheist. <laughs> we, uh, you know, he's gone. And it happened, you know, we have kids who have become atheists, who have become Christians. You know, in LA, you know, I mean, you know, the Islamic school, you know, has issues. That's right, that's right. With the sense. You know, I mean, and that's the Islamic school. You know, I mean, you make a kid go through all of that all his life. He has he has had Islam for life in the first 18 years of his life. Now he wants out. That's right. He's looking for a way out. He said, bro, this is not how people, how you bring people to Islam. This mm -hmm. is not how you make people grow. You can't force things on them. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what's happening. A lot of youngsters are being lost because they had they were expected to be either this or nothing and they so they chose nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like you have to let people move at their own pace and you have to let people exactly. come in, you know, even people who are born Muslim, you have to teach them to come in gradually, right? Like for me, the big thing is to get them to love Allah, to love Islam in their heart and then slowly yeah. everything else will follow. So that's definitely yep. the way I operate as well. And well, it's what Allah wanted. You know, at first, you know, you learn about Allah, you you accept Him, you know, you, you believe in Him. Mm. The rest will come. The rest will come when you start growing into it. Yeah, and it happens. But the thing is that we want to emphasize the outward form instead of the inward spirit. That's 100% true. And that's what happens, you know, and yeah. that's what happens to these youngsters. Mm. We have seen a lot of them, you know, that go by like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Sheikhna, what time is it over there? It's 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock in the morning, right? Yes. Yeah, over here it's 11 at night here. <laughs> SubhanAllah. <laughs> so I know you mentioned to me before we started that you, you didn't get much sleep last night. So inshallah, uh, yeah. I'm going to let you go so you could rest for the day and inshallah continue your fast. Thank you. Alhamdulillah. Thank so you so much. Definitely please keep us in your prayers in these holy days and holy nights. And you been. too. You know, it's, it's been really good talking to you and be in touch, all right? 100%. 100%. Inshallah, we could get you out to Australia, obviously uh, yes. pending on visas, but inshallah, yeah, we could get you out here. <laughs> yes. If <laughs> I, get, be amazing if I can get a visa, come out there. You know, inshallah. We'll see. Inshallah. All right, Sheikhna. Thank you so much. And all right, then. Take care. You take care now, brother. What? You haven't subscribed yet? Mate, get on the ball. Subscribe to the channel.